This is Passing for Normal, conversations about change. That means conversations about hope, innovation, transformation, courage, activism, and being on the cutting edge. I'm your host, Sharon Weil, and here I speak with fascinating, pioneering change makers across many different fields. We talk about how to make change, meet change, and find the courage to create change in your life and in the larger world around you. Bringing new ideas into the mainstream, that's Passing for Normal. Hello and welcome to Passing for Normal, where I am once again talking with integrative family and community medical physician, Dr. Anna O'Malley. Anna and I were in a great conversation about how to find wholeness for health and healing in relation to the natural world, and we ran out of time. So I wanted to continue the conversation in a second podcast. So welcome back, Anna. Glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I just want to continue what we were talking about, where we left off. Um, And uh, so we were talking about establishing a new medical model with ways for people to participate in their own health and well-being and how we attend our health through the ways that we live, through uh, mitigating our stress levels, sleeping well, and listening to the signals of our body for what we need. Um, for health and balance. Do you want to speak to that a little bit just to kind of recap what we were talking about before? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I feel really passionately that that we physicians, we in medicine, be it physicians or nurse practitioners, you know, that we, we have this responsibility to serve as guides in, in uh, guiding people back toward some deep relationship with their body and with health and well-being. In fact, Doctor, the, the meaning of doctor comes from the Latin etymologic root uh, that means teacher, docere. Uh, and so I, it is something that is part of our sacred responsibility to be teaching people that all that we've, we've learned within medical school and, 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 and teaching that in such a way that people can hear and then directly apply into their life and, and, and move back into balance. And you know, we, we talked about the mind-body connection and community and social connection and uh, how everything is, is all interrelated and we have this relationship with the natural world. And then where, where the rubber often meets the road for people is, okay, well, how do I, how do I make decisions on the, in the day-to-day, in the moment? I, here I am planning a meal, looking into the refrigerator, Thinking about what, how I'm planning my day or my week, how am, how can I make this real, accessible, practical, and uh, how can we be, how can we actualize all that we know that we quote unquote should do into something that feels enlivening and nourishing and and something we can easily get our arms around because if it's if it's all just things that we know we should do but aren't practically relevant then right. it really doesn't matter <laughs> that's right that's right yeah yeah and so sometimes we you know we make those shifts in uh in eating because we have new information right and sometimes it's because mm-hmm. we've developed a certain practice or like so what is the why, you know, some people get scared into it, right? You get told if you don't Mm -hmm. cut out the sugar and the carbs that you're going to die eventually, or you're going to shorten your life or something like that. But short, short of getting those kinds of scares, 
What is it that brings someone to elect to change habits around food or even preferences around food? Yeah, I, I think that is a that is a really great question. I think it's individual for people. Like some people, as you mentioned, have this personal experience. Wow, I just watched my grandmother um, suffer from kidney failure and all of the downstream effects of diabetes, for example, and 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 die prematurely. I don't want that to happen to me, for example. Or sometimes it is that I. Um, I know how I feel after I make a, a choice that uh, that I could have anticipated would make me feel terrible, and here I am in this moment, having having made that choice, and now I'm tracking the sensations in my body. Wow, I wish, like, if, if speaking personally, if if I choose to eat refined, processed food, uh, especially a lot of sugar or sweets, I can predict that within an hour or two. I will feel less mentally sharp and probably a little edgy or cranky. And so uh, for some people, it's like, okay, I, I, many, most people don't even notice that there's any sort of uh, change. They just may feel out of sorts and not be able to link it back to what they ate. But the more we get into this listening and noticing mindful relationship with our, uh, with our body and the sensations, we can begin to notice that, wow, if I give my body what it needs to function really well, I will be able to function really well. <laughs> so some of us are motivated by the desire to function really well. Um, and, and what I mean by that, like for in my, in my personal life, like I have the opportunity to write articles for our local newspaper and to effectively uh, engage with people and counsel them and be deeply listening and responding to them. Well, if I make a bad choice over my lunch hour and uh, say if, I, if it's a, a day where I'm seeing patients and um, I almost never make these choices because I know how it happens. But if I, if I indulge in, in something that's in the break room that someone else has brought in or there's a party and, and I have a piece of cake, I can predict that the, like the second or third patient that I see in my afternoon, I'm not going to have as much, as much uh, sharpness in my listening and my counseling, and I'll, I'll do a fine job. But, uh, you know, I, it's something that I, I'm noticing for myself, like, wow, I'm not going to have uh, as, I'll, it will be harder for me to access creative flow and uh, efficient writing if I make poor choices or if I say don't exercise. If I, if I often we make, we tell this, we have the story around, I can't exercise because I don't, I have so many things to do. But many, many uh, brilliant minds, thinkers, uh, artists, and writers have known that if they go for a walk, they will access creative flow, and you're able to get into problem solving and more efficient thought processes. So, so we we tell these stories that we don't have time to make this decision, or we're just going to grab, you know, whatever whatever convenience fast food item we think is going to actually help us be more efficient, but in the both in the short and the long run, it actually makes us less efficient and less able to do what it is that we'd like to be doing. So for many people, for myself included, that's that's where I can access the motivation to overcome uh, those habits or 
the really compelling neurohormonal addictive experience of, of quickly releasing a bunch of dopamine and, and stimulating our reward centers in our brain that makes us want more of, of whatever um, cheap, uh, quickly available sugar or, I mean, even cheese. <laughs> cheese. Cheese releases a whole bunch of endorphins in the brain, mm-hmm. which is why it feels so good to eat cheese. Um, but in the long run, you know, it might not make us feel that most our most energized and vitally awake and alive cells. So for me personally and for many people that I, that I work with, that helps in making those decisions. So what uh, percentage of our health do you feel is really affected by the foods that we eat? Wow. Well... So it's another way of asking, it's another way of asking, so how important is it in my overall picture that I use food, Mm -hmm. um, not just as nourishment, but as medicine, as a balancer, that I really understand that food isn't just to fill a hole, or food isn't Mm -hmm. just to... um, to, uh, you know, answer cravings, right? But that it really plays such an essential role in our day-to-day health picture and that we can really turn our health around by changing how we eat. Right, it's it's absolutely essential. It's essential. And and I was was pausing on the, the question about percentages as I was I was thinking that the percentage that came to mind uh, the, when you asked that question was we met by many, many estimates, perhaps as much as 75 to 80% of our healthcare expenditures in our country are linked to the, the cost of managing, quote unquote, or treating through pills and procedures, usually, the, the downstream effects of chronic diseases, and by chronic diseases, I mean you know, obesity and hypertension, high blood pressure, diabetes, cancer, and, and so that's a, a huge percentage. And the vast majority of those chronic diseases are reversible through lifestyle, principally making good choices about what we eat and how we move our bodies. And so, so that's, that's one way of looking at it. And then the other way of looking at it is, wow, um, we have an opportunity every time we have a meal to be choosing things that will be deeply nourishing. And, and when you take a look at what's going on in, in plants in general, and in fact, this weekend we here in the Commonweal Garden, we had a permaculture course and I did a, a plant medicine walk. There's so many medicinal plants here, both uh, what we, we consider food and what we consider plant medicine. And they have the very many of the same components, meaning there are a lot of phytochemicals, plant chemicals that are antioxidative. And uh, so by antioxidative, we know that, so an antioxidant is uh, something that's often found in, in abundance in plants, especially those that are brightly colored, like really the dark green pigment or the bright red berries or tomatoes. We know those are, those are signals from the plant to us that there's a lot of nourishment there. And the nourishment of the antioxidant sort 
is the kind that on a cellular, on a genetic level, is, is mopping up the, um, the free radicals that, that create a lot of cellular aging that, that then becomes aging on a, on a level of, of the human. And so, so you know, when, when we're doing the work of being alive, our cells are taking in glucose, from the food that we've eaten and taking in the oxygen that's being, that we're breathing in and that gets into our bloodstream and it's combining these chemicals and others into energy to, to make our bodies work, to make our muscles contract, to make our heart beat, to digest the food that we've eaten. All of this takes a lot of energy and the cost of that energy is free radical generation and oxidation. And it's kind of like the body can rust a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you will, metaphorically. And when, if we're eating a lot of plants, brightly colored, fresh, you know, as, as fresh as, as we can, like out of the garden, that's awesome from the farm stand. It's fantastic. Things that have been packaged and languishing in the, the supermarket, better than not at all. Uh, and so those things are, are helping us stay young on a cellular level and to do the work of repairing the damage that's been done and also just giving us really good, fresh, clean energy. And if we're choosing to eat that way more than in a way that creates more oxidative stress, more inflammation, then we're uh, creating a a net balance in the, in the health and uh, regeneration as opposed to the chronic illness creating degeneration, age-accelerating way of, of being in our bodies. So the choices that we make are really quite powerful. And if we, if we are, are choosing to eat a lot of plants, really fresh organically whenever possible, then we are stacking the odds. We're giving our body exactly what it wants, but it's evolved to be using as fuel. And that includes really good healthy fats like that we find in olive oil and nuts and avocados and good protein. And, and if we're eating meat, making really wise choices about the, the ways in which the, the animals that we're eating were raised and, and what they were eating. So it's a, it's a high level, high degree of consciousness to make these choices that are good for our body. And by the way, also really good for the planet. Right, and when and when you eat in a way that that your body feels very nourished and and can really process, then you feel better, and then that inspires you to continue to eat that way, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's my experience, and that's that's the experience of many. And it's and it's not to say that that there's not room for having. In fact, I think there is room for having desserts and and. Having having the holiday food, so we, we humans are evolved to uh, be able to to take in sweetness and and enjoy the the sweet indulgence, especially seasonally. Our our ancestors uh, had there were there were times of year of the year where there was a lot of sweet available to us, and and that we like over the holiday season, for example, what we often think of as the holiday season, that's the time where people would come together and enjoy like sweet, intensive things. And then for special occasions, occasionally 
enjoying those indulgences uh, and and eating them with all of the appreciation of the preciousness that it is to have something that's sweet available to us, we have become a little less appreciative of, of how, uh, of mm, people, we, we're eating a lot of the, the holiday or the special occasion food on a day-to-day basis now. And so our body is, is trying to adjust to how can we, how can we manage all the sugar and all the refined sweetness that, that we are not evolved to, to take in as regularly as we now collectively are taking in, which is why we are seeing rates of obesity, rates of diabetes soaring, uh, which many people who are looking at this on a population level from a, from a uh, domestic economic perspective, we, we really can't continue to sustain this, this, this sort of curve, this rate of rise of chronic disease collectively. Uh, we, we can't afford it. And the people who are taking a look at this are, are recognizing, you know, that, um, we're going to have to, to change the, this, this direction or suffer some pretty um, serious economic consequences. So, so um, I think that was a it was a bit of a departure away from from what you were saying, but um, yeah, it's, it it all matters, and there's there's room for there's room for the occasional sweet and uh, you know mindfully enjoying that which we're enjoying. You know, if we're going to have a piece of chocolate cake, by all means, really enjoy every single bite of that chocolate cake. And, you know, have it every once in a while. Well, and that's true, too, you know, in terms of of really being in the senses and the smell and the taste and the color of our food. You know, and the more that we're in our senses, the more we can taste each bite of that cake, take the time, probably the less cake we need to eat. Because, you know, mm-hmm. how many of us have had this had the experience where we're in a rush and we're just, you know, wolfing something down and we've eaten something, we don't even remember that we ate it. And, you know, to be able to savor the flavor of food, often the body will give you a signal, I've had enough. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so there's, there's an expression, the, the banquet is in the first bite. And it is that that first bite. It's actually in the anticipation, you know, where where we're taking in the color and the the way it's presented to us, and the smell and the way it feels on the lips. There's this there's this lovely mindfulness exercise that I, I first uh, experienced with John Kabat-Zinn, where where he describes this mindful raisin experience. And if you take a, a raisin and roll it around on your your fingers. And, and like feel the crinkliness and, and then smell it and bring it to your lips and, and like feel all of the crenellations and, and all of that and, and start to feel the most, experience the most subtle of, of flavors that, that come in just when you first put it on your tongue and then roll it around inside your mouth and let it plump and like the whole experience. You can make a single raisin into this incredible sensual experience <laughs> yeah. and, and have all of these flavors and, and this intense intensity of experience that few people have when they eat a raisin. And the same can be had with, with any bite of, of the food that we prepare. And 
as we're doing that, not only are we experiencing the, what it is to, to be alive in these incredible bodies that we get to inhabit that have such incredible capacities, we are, as you point out, we're also going to notice when we are satiated and eat to the point of satiety. That's one of the most important things that we can cultivate a skill set around is eating slowly and mindfully and enjoying every bite and noticing when it is that we are no longer hungry and not just distractedly wolfing down the food and eating way past that point, which collectively we tend to do, which is really hard on our bodies. It, you know, a lot of people are, are interested to know that when we eat past, when we, when we really <laughs> go for it and, and clean our plates, you know, <laughs> that expression of clean your plate. Well, when we, when we eat more than we need to, the act of eating, of, of taking food in across the intestines, breaking it down, like uh, the whole process, and it's, there's such a, an in-depth process that from, from the chewing and the digesting and then the absorption across the, into the bloodstream, that creates a lot of oxidative stress on our bodies. And if we are, and it's worth it, you know, we need to do this, but when we're, when we do it way more than we need to meet our, our body's cellular metabolic needs, then we're just creating a whole bunch of aging stress on our body um, without any additional benefit. And it creates, it creates disease. So, so yes, yeah, so, so developing the capacity to be mindful, to be present in the moment and to notice the food it increases our ability to digest our food. It gets the sound, the digestive juices flowing both in the mouth but also in the stomach. We're able to digest more effectively. We're in the parasympathetic, so-called rest and digest, autonomic nervous system balance, meaning that we're not stressed out, we're, we're relaxed while we're eating. All of these things facilitate digestion as well as just the pleasure of, of having that experience and all of those things go toward you know again on a cellular level turning on genes that are associated with health turning off genes that are associated with degeneration with cancer expression you know there's this whole fascinating field of epigenetics meaning that that the way we approach our lives you know be it the way we approach the food that we're eating and the interactions that we have, whether or not we're um, engaging in activities that create more free radicals like smoking cigarettes or putting a bunch of chemicals on our, on our bodies that our bodies don't know what to do with or eating uh, poison in the form of pesticides or glyphosate. You know, um, we can make powerful choices about how we live our lives that can actually turn on or off cancer genes and other genes. So it's a, it's a fascinating time to be at this place where all these, this, this wisdom that many healers that are grandmothers or grandfathers have known and have passed down in different, uh, different ways that are now being scientifically validated uh, down to the level of genetic expression and, and even generational genetic expression. So 
it's, it's really a fascinating time to be taking a look at how we can be using food as medicine in so many different ways. It is because it's saying that we are far more mutable than we think. Even our genes are more mutable and affected by mm-hmm. what we're doing right now. It's not just you inherit a package and that's it, but that the ways mm-hmm. in which you live and eat can actually affect your own genetic makeup. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So let's talk about inflammation a little bit because... Um, you know, according to some, inflammation underlies all of the diseases that we, the biggest diseases that we face and deteriorating conditions. And you explained the mechanics of inflammation in a way that it really, I finally got it. I finally got what was going on with inflammation. It's not just being bloated, right? It really is a it really is a process that's taking place in the body. So could you, can you talk a little bit about that inflammation? Yeah, absolutely. So I think a good starting place is thinking about, infl- about why our bodies generate inflammation in the first place. And so, you know, imagine a time where you sprained your ankle or um, bumped your knee on something and your, your ankle becomes swollen and inflamed. It's red. Your body is, is wanting and, and there's a lot of swelling in that area. The blood vessels, even the blood vessels that they weren't directly injured, but the blood vessels in that area, they become a little bit leakier intentionally by design so that, that the body can, can spill blood and all the things that are traveling through the blood to that area in the soft tissues so that it, the, that area of the body has everything that it needs to repair itself. And so that is, that's a process of inflammation. And there are different inflammatory chemicals. They have a bunch of different names, like there are cytokines and tumor necrosis factors and you know, um, interleukins, a whole, a whole host of them. And many more are being discovered the more we look. Uh, but that, that is serving an important purpose to create the conditions where uh, all of these chemicals get to where they need to be. So that, that is inflammation as we know it, as, as we're accustomed to experiencing it. But what, what is different is on, an, on the internal level uh, that we can always see, say, say we take something in into our into our mouths in a meal uh, that has a bunch of weird chemicals. Or for some people, you know, many for many people, gluten is a substance that is inflammatory. And and so say we, we've eaten something that has something in it that our body is uh, reacting to. And say at the, the level of the lining of the intestines, which this is kind of a, a bit of a of a mental gymnastic sort of a thing to think about, but the inside of our intestines are the, are the outside of our body. So it's inside of us, but it's a tube that passes from, you know, from top to bottom, from the mouth to the anus. That, we're, that tube is the, it's kind of like the inside of a, of a donut, if you will. And, it, and it, things are passing through from one aspect of the outside to the other aspect of the outside. And our body has to consciously decide 
what it's going to bring in across the lining of the intestines, which is why there's a ton of lymphatic tissue, that's our immune system, in our located in our stomach, in our intestines, in our in the abdomen, so that it's surveilling. Is this good? Is this bad? Is this foreign? Is this is this safe? Is this something that we should reject? And and there's this this phenomenon that's getting a lot of attention now called leaky gut. And mm-hmm. if we if we're taking in chemicals into our system and that are creating inflammation at the lining of the intestines, that can create a, a bit of a of a stretch, a leakiness, and and it creates more of an opening than we are originally designed to have, and it allows things to pass into the bloodstream that we that our immune system then reacts to and creates. It's just like, ooh, our, our immune system is seeing something that it thinks it needs to respond to, and it can create inflammation internally in the bloodstream, and those in, inflammatory substances then... Uh, act downstream, you know, like say at the level of the lining of the blood vessels. We know that that people who have a lot of inflammation in their system, either because of what they're eating or sometimes it's because they have some chronic low-level infection, like say in their mouth, that's a, a very common place where people have chronic infections. Is you mean like having, in their teeth? Uh, in their teeth, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a strong link between dental health and cardiovascular disease, but if, if we have some low-grade inflammation, that can create inflammation in the lining of the blood vessels. And if the lining of the blood vessels are inflamed, that allows for uh, the cholesterol that might otherwise just be floating freely through the system to slip into mm-hmm. the level of the, the, the lining of the blood vessels and then create the plaque that will go on to obstruct possibly the to, to close off that blood vessel and cause a heart attack or a stroke. And so so that's one way in which inflammation can get into the, the lining of tissue and then create disease. And so, and it's also go ahead. I was just gonna say uh, so what so what are the practices that a person can do to reduce inflammation in their system overall? So, so paying attention to what we eat is really important because mm-hmm. if, you know, health, health really does start in the gut and our gut health is really li- linked to what it is that we're eating. And, and what it is that we're eating is not only nourishing our body, but it's also nourishing the population of, of bacteria that are living in our gut. We have this, this thing called the microbiome, and this is the community of microbes that live on and in our body, especially in our gut, and they are, they are instrumental. These friendly, helpful bacteria, hopefully, are instrumental in, in also supporting our health. And so, so eating well is probably the most important thing that we can do to decrease inflammation. Of course, we don't want to be smoking cigarettes. We don't want to be you know, uh, healthy sleep patterns are really important mm-hmm. for minimizing inflammation. But, you know, thinking about the food, because that's really central, making sure that we're eating an anti-inflammatory diet. 
we can be choosing to eat things that have anti-inflammatory substances in them, like culinary herbs and, and spices are antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory, and they also have anti-cancer effects. Our, our bright leafy greens, like kale, for example, and other greens are loaded with antioxidants and anti-inflammatory substances, and they're not, importantly, they're not generating a whole bunch of inflammation so that we're, uh, we're kind of getting ahead of the inflammatory curve, as opposed to if we were eating a bunch of, of packaged refined food that has a lot of chemicals that our body doesn't know what to do with. And, and as soon as it sees it, it's just going to start attacking it and generating more inflammation. Um, you know, that, that makes it harder to decrease inflammation. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are some things like omega-3 fatty acids, you know, salmon and some nuts and seeds that are also really anti-inflammatory. But it's really about eating whole, a, a balanced diet that has whole, mostly plants and not too great a quantity of food, just like my, Michael Pollan, you know, his, his way of holding these, these food rules, that, that eating a lot of plants and not eating too much of them and, and doing it really in a mindful, connected sort of a way, is, is de- it really does powerfully decrease inflammation and the risk of chronic disease. Mm-hmm. As well as keeping the sugar low, uh, including complex carbohydrates that break down into sugar. Yeah, yeah. Eating, I think, eating complex carbohydrates. There are great things about whole grains. You know, whole grains have a lot of trace minerals, and there's fiber in there. So, so eating complex whole grains in modest portions uh, is is a reasonable thing to do. You just don't want to make it the, the main event on your plate. Um, and for some people, it, it, pe- some, many people benefit from exploring something called a ketogenic diet, which yes. is where you're not eating. You're not even eating the whole grain because you're, you're shifting your body into um, more of a fat-burning uh, way of being in metabolism. It's, and it's an interesting thing for people to experiment with. It's basically eating really healthy fats and a lot of, of vegetables and, and minimizing things that are uh, that have a lot of carbohydrates like like fruits and starchy tubers and, and roots and then this is particularly effective for people who have uh, degenerative neurological conditions and, and I think what's what's happening right now is that there's a lot of research coming out around, dementia and Alzheimer's and some of those other neurodegenerative processes that are powerfully benefited by shifting the diet away from carbs, away from sugar, and more toward uh, a lot of vegetables and healthy fats and, and healthy protein. Fantastic. Well, again, we've, um, we've talked through our time. <laughs> Wow. And I could uh, really, I could talk with you forever, and I hope that I get to. Um, so, in wrapping up, uh, please uh, tell our listeners where they can find you and um, mention the Natura Institute and what you do there, mm-hmm. and um, and how people can get involved. Mm. Well, thank you. I, I am blessed to be stewarding 
this commonweal garden. It's an incredible place here in Bolinas, California. And the, the program that, that I have founded and direct here is the Natura Institute for Ecology and Medicine, where we explore our relationship with the food that we grow and eat and the plants that we tend and make medicine out of and, and nourishing celebratory meals and their programs that that are, um, are exploring this in depth and in, in, in permaculture and being basically it's all about being in connection and relationship with each other and with the earth and the medicine that comes there from. So you can check us out at Natura Institute and that's N-A-T-U-R-A institute.org. Fantastic. And, we, we, and I just wanted to say, you know, we have... We have garden tours and, and uh, volunteer work parties, and, and there's, there are lots of different ways to engage. We're having a full moon fire circle tonight is a full moon, and, and they come. those full moons come around every single month, which is awesome. So you know, check us out and, and do come and, and visit. Yeah, because there are values that you hold uh, that are expressed there in these programs and in these experiences that are... Um, are so rich and uh, are so wonderful to share. Mm, thank you. So I so appreciate your perspective on health and eating and and how, um, you know, you have very strong ideas and yet you are very compassionate towards how people get themselves there. <laughs> and... <laughs> Right, you know, which is I, part of it. Oh yeah, I, I'm on my I'm on my own human journey here. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I, I know a lot of information, and I still have to put it in practice, just like everybody else. <laughs> like everybody else, but this is what you do. You have incredible information, and the way in which you integrate this information and offer it to others is so special. And so, I thank you so much for being in conversation with me. My pleasure. Thank you. This has been Passing for Normal, conversations about change. If you like our podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. It helps our audience to grow. To find out more about author Sharon Weil, go to SharonWeilAuthor.com. You can also find out more about the Changeability books and about all the guests featured in this podcast at that website. Large or small, go out today and make a brave change. Dare to bring new ideas forward. Our world needs you right now.